0: Hi there, I'm Jocelyn Yaguse, and welcome to Impact Chronicles, a platform where we explore the world of social impact, innovation, and entrepreneurship in the African context. On this episode, I speak to Patrick Papokoro, who is the founder of Naka Foundation. Naka Foundation is on a mission to educate, feed, and improve the health of orphans and vulnerable children in Zimbabwe. The organization does this by helping to provide access to education, early childhood development, basic health care and daily sustenance to the vulnerable children.
1: You know, I see myself as a child of the sticks, not having had much of an educational background until in recent years. I think I would call myself a community development person at heart, having gone through that from the very foundations of my life. I've studied community development. My first degree was a community development, and then I studied development studies. Um, And then now doing my PhD in education and education leadership. And so my real foundations really have been outside my academic qualifications. I see myself more... Uh, for my community and my my university of life, uh, if I put it that way, um, <laughs> yeah, as having as having informed you know much of
0: the work that I do yeah.
1: But um, dating back to the time I was fifteen, sixteen, starting to work in non-profit organizations in Zimbabwe as well.
0: What triggered you? Is there a specific event or incident that led you to start Naka Foundation?
1: Yes, a couple of incidences I think culminated in you know Naka Foundation being Form. I'll trace it back you know to a time in 2000 when I spent some time at an orphanage in Marshall Island West in Jumimba. and it was my experience there that became sort of foundational to starting like a foundation. I was working at an orphanage as a volunteer working with young kids who had lost either a single or both parents and um, you know listening to their stories, where I was coming from a background where I had both parents alive, and I was complaining about certain things. Get to work with children and uh, peers who had no one to complain to, and so you sit, you play soccer, you go into a vegetable garden, you work, and. These children are enjoying life as it were and not losing heartbeat or not losing sleep over the luxurious things that I was crying for. And so that changed my perspective about life. And so, uh, seven years down the road, I was sitting in a church service, and uh, the pastor was speaking about legacy and inheritance, and he was a foreign pastor. Uh, from America, talking about just the burden of orphanhood in Zimbabwe and how, as Zimbabweans, we had to look internally for solutions and look internally for our best to support communities. And so I started praying and I said, Lord, help me make my mark, help me respond to this in a way. And Naka Foundation was born, right? And so, the next couple of weeks after that, I don't remember, it was in June 2007. So I began to think about it, think through it, said it's strategizing. I didn't have any experience from a social entrepreneurship perspective. But I had gone through a couple of employment positions well enough to ground myself in either community development, in HIV and AIDS work and in community organizing as well, and enough fundraising and proposal development and that sort of thing experience to be able to launch an organization. And so, yeah, July 2007, uh, Naga Foundation was born. And it goes without saying that the influence of the name Naga came out of that church service. Uh, and Naga means inheritance. And for me, what was crucial was what inheritance are we leaving for orphans and vulnerable children in
0: our Country. so what does naka foundation do exactly and what problem is the organization solving
1: so when you look at some of the work that you've profiled i um, look at social imp- entrepreneurship and i see i think in one of your blogs you mentioned about people making a profit out of the work that, that they've been doing and so when i look at naka foundation i started to define profit <laughs> right in a sense yes that what what is the profit of this organization how mm-hmm. have we the return on our investment and how is I, as a social entrepreneur, uh, received the return on the investment. And so I'll give you a couple of uh, a couple of uh, just points uh, to consider. Naga Foundation really started off as an organization supporting the welfare of orphans and vulnerable children in communities in Zimbabwe. We have largely now uh, grown toward uh, in almost all the 10 provinces of the country and extended the partnership into Mozambique right now where we're working on uh, three-year project um, supported by the German government uh, again to increase access to early childhood development services for young children. Our thrust really is to use early childhood development, uh, what is commonly known as crash or preschool or early or JK. You know, there are a lot of ways that are thrown in there. Um, but for us, we view early childhood development as an entry point into community uh, programming, as an entry point into uh giving children a, a, a great foundation for life now we can talk about you know the various you know scientific research and longitudinal studies that have been carried out that support uh, the entrance of children uh, into that sort of um, early years uh, spectrum um, but for me uh, is a Zimbabwean first is It's just to look at how do we use early childhood development as a foundation to lift children out of the cycle of poverty in my country. How do we ensure that children are able uh, to have a life full of possibilities, as I mentioned earlier on, but that they are set on a path of education that they cannot turn their heads back on, right? So once children get into school, get excited about school, we want to ensure that we keep them on the path of education for as long as possible.
0: Great. So what specific activities and programs does the organization run?
1: The organization is working out of five key pillars. They've spoken about increasing access to education, which is the flagship program that we work on in communities. And so... We go through by having classroom renovation. Lately, we've been doing a lot of classroom construction, just coming out of the need that there's been a lot of infrastructure decay in Zimbabwe. And then we have a health assessment program that assesses the health needs of of young kids doing measurement of the upper arm circumference, sort of doing height and weight checks, and being able to do the basic body check, the basic physical check for the feeding program. That ensures the kids have got access to a daily nutritious meal, we've got a teacher training program that builds up the capacity of the teachers in providing the appropriate training and teaching for the young kids. We've got a parenting education program that seeks to support parents and caregivers to provide appropriate care. It's not that we're going to teach them anything new, but we're going to build their capacity so that we take rights-based perspectives to them, so that we open up their eyes and their worldview uh, to various opportunities for young kids. We have a psychosocial support program, which is basically a biblically-based program for young kids, just working with them to address some domains. We've got the physical, intellectual, social, emotional, as well as spiritual domain. So those are the kind of uh, programs that we have. But having mentioned that, our programs don't operate in isolation. So we look at them as a comprehensive package or look at them as a holistic effort to ensure that. A child is just not only given food, and then we tell them to go your way. So we try and ensure that, yes, whilst they've got food, we're then also looking at the health aspect to say, okay, is this food, is it nourishing, is it good? Does it have nutrients enough to support the kids? And so we really look at a holistic or a comprehensive, when we look at the child, we're looking at all the issues that affect the child and how can we best address to ensure that the child is well taken care of.
0: The beauty of social yeah. entrepreneurship for me is that you determine the nature of your profit, it doesn't Precisely. necessarily have to be monetary. So, Precisely. how do you guys measure your impact and what have your results been so far?
1: You know, uh, profit for us, as you beautifully have said, measured in a variety of ways. Number one is When we get children being able to cross that divide, that from coming from a household where you have a poverty mentality and a poverty mindset to crossing over and utilizing early childhood development and education as a foundation for lifelong learning, that's one big chunk of profit that we have right there. The second chunk is when we have communities, when we have parents, caregivers, and other community stakeholders take responsibility over the lives of young children. So where they are talking from right in the home, where we are working to improve homeschool relationships, you know, between the parents, caregivers, and the school, vis-a-vis the students as well. And then you move to the next level of community where we're talking about access to birth registration, birth certificates, so that the kids can have other social protective opportunities through the Departments of Social Services or through the Ministry of Health. And then when we have the governmental or school system designing policies that are designed to support the life of a child, we see that as measurable impact. Now, whilst I pride ourselves with the numbers that we've reached in terms of the kids served directly, the kids served indirectly, the numbers probably fall down the list to mention them last because really it is not so much about the quantity. It's so much about the qualitative aspect of the programs. How have we supported the young children to have a life full of possibilities? How have we reached out to the different domains of the young child? Physical, spiritual, social, intellectual, emotional. How have we managed to reach those domains? In a nutshell, I would say I would look at our profit in a number of ways. And I'll close that question with this example. Just when I get emails and letters in my inbox, from children that we started working with 10 years ago who are in grade seven. And some, by the way, we have a school fees sponsorship program that caters for all level A level students and some students who have graduated from university and some students who have gone and started doing great things for themselves. When they send me emails or send my team emails to say, hey, thank you for the opportunity that NACA Foundation gave us to continue our education. If it wasn't for that one term's fees that was paid, I don't know where I would have been. Yeah, that that is... feedback makes me go to bed a happy man every single night, right? And then just it gets worse. These people that get back to me or get back to the team, they then say, hey, can you identify one child or two children wow. or three children that way in my situation that I can also support?
0: That is the epitome of giving back. Wow.
1: Now, for me, no amount of money beats that.
0: Yeah, and it's a chain reaction. The chain you continues. Now, that is very. It's just amazing.
1: a chain that continues. So it's it's paid forward, eh? Yeah. They then realize, you know what? I went over that threshold. Let me look back and look for someone that I can also pull over, and get mm-hmm. into that. And it's almost like a groundswell where you're building up this community base of looking back and saying, guys, how can we look after each other? We are each other's brothers, keepers, right? How yes. Do we- how do we support each other so that we're able to move to move forward? So that that sends me and gets me to bed as a happy man each and every night.
0: That is amazing. You spoke, and while I was doing my research, I noticed that mm-hmm. uh, partnerships have been a key component of your mm-hmm. work. Can you talk a bit about that, especially when it comes to your partnership with the government? Um, how yeah. receptive have they been to the? programs and your vision for NACA?
1: We don't operate outside the policies and lay down rules of engagement and procedures that are laid down by the government of the day. And we find ourselves every single time having to push forward the agenda that the government is supposed to push forward. So, let me go back to early childhood development. So, in Mm -hmm. recent history, just about 20 years ago, in 1999, uh, the former president of Zimbabwe instituted a a committee of experts uh, that is now known as the the Ramasanga Commission that produced a report, a wide-ranging report on the status of education in Zimbabwe. One of their major recommendations was that early childhood development had to be a priority as a foundational Aspect of education for young children. Now, with that report coming out in 1999, there wasn't much action that was put put into that. And you know, you move into 2003, 2004, where the Secretary of Education at that stage then began, you know, issue the policy directive to then start saying, "Hey, we need to speak to this to this report." And so. From now going forward, each school is mandated to have an early childhood development center and children should, you know, go through uh, ECD. But there hasn't been a big push, right? And so when Naga Foundation came in, whilst there was a lot of work that was going on, there wasn't a big push when it comes to implementation. So as a nonprofit, we came in to say, hey. You've got this policy, but there's not much happening, right? And so we said, okay, let's look internally as a people. Let's look internally as an organization. Let's look internally as communities, because we are a community-driven organization. We want to respond to the issues that come from communities. We said, what we have in this community that we can use to move this agenda forward right and so you have parents in you know with stakeholders saying well we've got mentors we've got builders we're able to build we're able to you know construct swings we're able to construct playgrounds we're able to cook for our kids right? okay so we are if we're able to do all this what resources do we have and what don't we have Right, And so in that, we begin to use what is called appreciative inquiry, which is a strength-based approach to community development to say, let's look at the positive things that we have in in our own community and begin to build up on that. And so with the appreciative inquiry process, we go through a four Ds kind of model where we are designing what we are dreaming, we are designing, we are drawing, and then we are going down into the community to ensure that we implement what we've dreamed together what we've designed together right and so with that process we're just not doing it as, as naka foundation we're saying okay now that is a community we've identified that the social services department is important the minister of health is important the minister of education is important let's have each of them on the table you know and 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 and, and begin and begin to move things forward and so we started having that groundswell right, begin to move forward things in the communities and districts, and then the government says, hey, we see what you guys are doing, right, and we like what you're doing, it's unfortunate that, you know, we are a bit incapacitated, but we, we want, you know, to support in whatever way, and so this led like, to Naka Foundation signing a formal MOU with the government and through the Ministry of Primary and Secondary Education, by the way, which is one of the most difficult things to secure, right, That. It has been a hallmark of our work to work in partnership, to work respectfully with the communities.
0: So what have been the highlights of your journey so far?
1: Oh, geez. The nice ones or the bad ones? Both. <laughs> this is
0: a learning curve because other um, social entrepreneurs are going to be listening and saying, okay, it's not always all good. So I'll, I'll, you can tell me uh, both.
1: Yeah, sure. So the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. I think the mm. biggest challenge, obviously, is how do we get our feet on the ground, right? How do we we get finance and how do we get partnerships and how do we get people to believe in us and how do we get the requisite, you know, particularly if you're operating in a polarized environment, in a polarized country where everything you're doing is almost treated with political lens as opposed to sort of developmental lens, how do we continue moving, right? And how do we do our work without having to be looking at our backs every single time? Uh, But the highlights uh, for us uh, and even for me as an individual has been the human resolve people have got Mm. the absolute amazing tenacity and amazing ability to survive against all odds and that has carried us through as an organization we are doing what we are doing because we realize there's a history you know our history has shown that given a chance Communities don't see politics. Communities don't see all these things we see when we're sitting in fancy fifth-floor or tenth-floor offices. They just see their children. They just see their vocation. They just see a better life.
0: Apart from the challenges that you've experienced, what have been the biggest lessons for you?
1: The biggest lessons, oh, geez. Yeah. Um, n- number one is don't let anyone believe for you what you want to do. You've got to believe for yourself the foundational stages of organization. We used to have so much faith in the external. One of the important lessons for me was that we've got to believe in ourselves first. We're got to believe in our, in our ability. You've got to believe in our mission and our vision. Once we are secure with ourselves and secure with what we want to do, no matter the rainstorm, no matter the snowstorm, no matter the thunder that's going to come, we are going to be able to implement whatever we want to implement because we know what we want to do. We know where we want to go. That was one of the biggest liberating moments for myself and even as I've led multiple teams over the years it's always been, are we secure about who we are? Are we secure about our identity? Are we secure about the mission the vision? Are we secure about our values? Are we a value-based and a value-driven organization? And if we are, then anything else that comes will find us on terra firma, will find us on a solid rock because we are built by the right ingredients. So that has been a key thing. Secondly, as a social entrepreneur, you've have people that are around you that believe in you right and so when i speak i talk about being a product of the village my village is not the literal village in a sense but it's a community of people that are around me as a leader that point me uh, towards the things that i need to see point me towards things that i can't see provide a blind spot uh, for me to say hey hmm. where you're going you're probably headed to failure you're gonna you know crash and burn or hey you just need to take off some steam And so have have people around you as a leader that, that support you people around you that criticize you people that tell you hey you know the direction you're taking is not good for the organization or the direction you're taking you know you're gonna fail so that's critical number three mm-hmm. is to also have the, the clarity of purpose as an individual once you're very clear about your mission in the world and what you need to know what you need to do, then everything else opens up. I have always used this, and I say that God in His creation has always given each and every one of us gifts and talents. And so, once you identify what your gift and what your purpose is, everything around the world within the universe conspires to work itself, to work for you. So a lot of the times that we face challenges within our vocations or careers and that sort of thing is because we haven't identified that which is a gift and that which is your vocation and that which you're supposed to do. Once you identify that, everything else will work itself to ensure that that mission and that gift of yours is exposed to the world. And so that has been a key lesson uh, for me and it's been again liberating because you then don't spend too much time trying to look for your own identity. You know who you are and you know what you're able to do and then you're able to forge ahead with whatever you need to do.
0: I think those lessons apply to anyone, even just in life in general that mm. really applies. How do you sustain foundation and what do you think is the reason your model works?
1: Sustaining the foundation I think comes back to some of the lessons that I've learned that there is a lot of personal sacrifice that goes through this. I mean the amount of social entrepreneurs will resonate with this. The amount of stress, both professional and personal stress, the amount of financial resources that you have to use, the number of relationships you lose in the process of trying to get your
0: ideas going are amazing. What does the future look like for
1: naka well Naga is growing hips and bounds. and by the way i'm no longer there full-time part of my commitment when i founded the organization was that i don't want to be caught up in this thing called founder syndrome right where yeah, the you founder uh, syndrome. <laughs> you stay forever <laughs> and ever and ever and ever yeah, and, so and they on. can't survive
0: but, without you
1: and they can't survive without you um, when Naga foundation tends to turn. I uh, submitted my resignation to the board of directors and I said, hey, my time is up. Um, I need to, to move on and, and then do something else. Um, they wrestled and wrestled. And, you know, we then ended up agreeing that I would, you know, uh, chair the board and. continue Continue to provide, you know, uh, you know sort of vision and uh, strategic guidance and direction. So, Naka Foundation is growing leaps and bounds. Like I told you, we've entered the region now, Southern Africa region. We've got yeah, partnerships in I saw that we're the discussing.
0: Mozambique announcement.
1: Yep, we've got partnerships in Mozambique. We're discussing in Lesotho and Swaziland. I've got colleagues now that are engaged in informal discussions in Malawi as well, you know, to wow. support some community based modeling. So, yeah, it's taken what, 10 years uh, for the organization to get where it where is. Is now and so we're excited to what the, the next 10 years would hold for it
0: yeah that's very impressive mm. 10 years is a very short period of time mm. and i'm sure you mm. actually remember the first meeting you had about naka foundation and now 10 years later you are expanding and scaling to other countries
1: yeah i love yeah. it
0: when impact transcends borders because that's where the power lies because you know that Africa is just changing and things are working out. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you. I really think today's episode was awesome. We would love for you to join us again. But in the meantime, follow us on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and spread the word of impact everywhere you go. Till next time, bye.